Well, if you have your Bibles, would you open up to Psalm chapter 16? Psalm chapter 16. Thank you again for being here this morning on this first Sunday of 2022. We made it. (laughs) I'm looking forward to this new year, and I hope you are as well. Hey, before we dive in today, uh, let's pray again. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word and help us understand it today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your word. We pray now that by your grace and through your word, you would transform our hearts. Lord, that you would uh, remove any walls or barriers or obstacles that we have put up ourselves, uh, Lord, or that the world has constructed that may hinder us from understanding who you are, from understanding our place in this world as your creatures, Lord, being created in your image, created to love you, created to worship you. Lord, would you give us understanding of who we need to be today in light of these truths? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, maybe when you were in elementary or middle school or high school, you remember, you know, maybe early on in the week or the semester, your teacher would warn you that there would be or there was a possibility of a pop quiz, right? And so you would kind of be very concerned. And uh, on the day that the pop quiz may or may not happen, what are you hoping for? You're hoping that the teacher forgot, right? I remember those times. Well, I've got really bad news for you. Uh, I remembered what I preached this time last year. And uh, the first Sunday of 2021, I challenged you to make three significant commitments in your life for the year. And so surprise, here's the pop quiz. All right, I'm sorry, I apologize. Uh, But one year ago, I challenged you to make these three commitments. You can see them on the screen. So commitments in 2021, I said, hey, let's do this, church. Let's, Let's commit to spending more time with the Lord as individuals, right? Let's commit to the church itself as church members, and let's commit to getting to know someone who doesn't know Jesus. And so today, I want us to pause on this first Sunday of a new year and reflect on how we're doing with these things. Uh, You could call this a spiritual checkup, if you will. Now, going to the doctor for routine checkups is very important. And it's something that we all need to do because our bodies are weak. We are just human, right? And so our bodies are not made to last forever on this earth. And so they do uh, experience all kinds of problems. And so going to a doctor uh, for a routine checkup is very important to your health. Well, I would say the same thing is true with your spiritual health. If you do not routinely do a spiritual checkup, if you will, if you do not routinely evaluate your own heart and see where you really are, then your spiritual health will deteriorate. And so I think that the new year is a perfect time to do that. Because I think, you know, and listen, I'm not really, I'm not real big into New Year's uh, resolutions. There's nothing wrong with them. I just never keep them. So I've kind of quit. And you probably know what I'm talking about, many of you. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to read more books this year. And then by the end of the year, I'm like, man, I I read one book, right? And so, you know, you just have to think through what is best for you. But I think all of us, when something about 
when January 1st rolls around and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you stayed up, maybe you made it to midnight, maybe you didn't. But if you watch the ball drop in New York City on, in Times Square and you see the 2022, right, there's just something about that new number that has a sense of freshness about it, that I think we all have this hope inside of us that it's a new year, it's a new beginning, and you know what? It's going to be a better year, right? I mean, we say that every year, and sometimes it is a better year. Sometimes it's not. And so I hope that this year will be a better year for you, but I think the right and proper way to start it off is by seriously doing a spiritual checkup of your own soul, your own heart, and see where am I? So I think these three commitments that we talked about uh, last year serve as a diagnostic tool, okay? I'm not saying that these are everything and exhaustive and covers all the points of your life. I just think that that these three commitments serve as a diagnostic tool to really help you evaluate uh, and engage with your own heart, your own soul, and your own mind and ask the question, how is my walk with the Lord really going, right? Now, here's the thing, all right? So next week, we're going to start a, a checkup, or we're gonna do a checkup, I should say, uh, on our church collectively, corporately, as the body of Christ, as a whole, uh, for a couple of Sundays, we're going to see kind of the same thing except corporately as a church. You know, where are we? How are we doing as the body of Christ? How are we doing in terms of where uh, God wants us to be? And, spe and specifically, how are we doing in our vision of Kernan 2025 that we launched a couple years ago? We're a couple years into that now. How are we doing in the regards to these things? So today serves as really a preface, if you will, to next week, right? And what I mean by that is, I think it is important for us to get ourselves right, you know? Like the church corporately is made up of what? Individuals, okay? So you have, if you have a lot of unhealthy spiritual Christians, unhealthy individuals, well then the church itself is going to be unhealthy as a whole. So what I would say is, let's evaluate our own hearts as individuals this Sunday so that we can truly come prepared next Sunday to talk about the health of the church as a whole. So spiritual checkup in 2022, I want us to look at those three commitments that you were challenged to do last year and just be honest with yourself, right? <clears throat> I'm not actually going to give you uh, a paper, piece of paper for you to mark, you know, how am I doing on a scale of one to 10 or anything like that. But this is for you, between you and the Lord, to really ask yourself and be honest, how am I doing in these areas? So, number one, how is my time with the Lord going? How am I really spending time with the Lord? Is it going well? Am I actually seeking the Lord? Now, in Psalm 16, I want you to listen to how much David cherished, and I think that's the proper word, he cherished his time with the Lord. Listen to this. In Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So you can see and you can hear, right, in David's voice, the expectancy he has. When he spends time with the Lord, he expects it to be just a very special moment. And he knows from experience when he's really seeking the Lord, he says there's fullness of joy. There's pleasures forevermore. Now, when we say spending time with the Lord, what do we mean? I want us to define exactly what that means. So spending time with God, when I say that in this sermon, what we mean is talking to God and listening to God. All right? Talking to God through prayer and listening to God through his word, the Bible, all right? So when you do these two things, as you pray to the Lord and as you listen to him through his word, he's already given you in the Bible, which is his revelation of himself, right? He has revealed himself to us through Christ, the word of God, and in the Bible, the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, he enlightens us to that truth. So when you are engaging in prayer and when you are listening to the word as you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit of God is at work, right? He is always working in you to transform you as you do these things. So that is what we mean when we say spending time with the Lord, talking to him through prayer, listening to him and what he's already written for you to read. Now, I want us to kind of talk about uh, the importance of this, some obstacles, and then I want to try to encourage you uh, in, in ways we can do this better. So here's the importance of spending time with the Lord, deepening your relationship with God. Now, if you want to improve your relationship with anybody, okay, any friend in your life or a spouse or whoever, right, if you want to improve a human relationship, what is the ingredients for that. What is important for that? Well, you're going to have to spend time with that person, right? And so what does that mean? Well, again, you're going to have to talk to that person, with that person. You're going to have to listen to that person. It involves communication. It involves time, right? And so the same is true in our relationship with God. It's no different. The only difference is that he never fails on his end of that relationship, right? He never fails to speak. He never fails to listen. I've been uh, told by uh, someone I live with that I'm married to that um, I'm not always the best listener, okay? <laughs> and um, I agree with that statement. I'm not denying that, all right? But I have trouble with that. But listen, God himself, God himself never fails to hear you. He never fails to listen to you. And this is vitally important in our lives as Christians. Because again, just notice David in Psalm 16, the joy that he talks about spending the time with the Lord, right? I mean, he doesn't talk about it begrudgingly as if, oh, I gotta do my quiet time so I can check that off the list and feel better about myself, right? That's not what he's doing. There is sincere joy that he receives when he talks to God through prayer or when he reads the scriptures and listens to the Holy Spirit speaking through those scriptures and enlightening his mind to those truths. David says his heart is glad. He says his whole being 
rejoices. He feels secure, right? He, he doesn't feel insecurity. He feels security because he is rooting himself in the truth of his maker. He is rooting himself in the truth and reality of the world around him as revealed through the scriptures. And so spending time with the Lord in this way, it will greatly encourage you. It will greatly give you the spiritual vitality like David received. It will give you that nourishment that you need every day. Spiritual nourishment through the word of God, through the Bible, and through prayer is absolutely necessary to your spiritual health. I mean, not many, not many of us would dare miss a meal, okay? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever, maybe you get busy, maybe you're fasting, maybe you're on a diet, but all of us need food and water to live, to be healthy in the proper ways. The time you spend with the Lord is absolutely no different. You will wither up and you will be very sick, if you will, spiritually, if you do not nourish your soul through prayer and the word of God on a routine, continual basis. It's such an honor to spend time with God. It's a privilege. And it really is just amazing if you think about it, right? That we can communicate with the creator of the universe. I mean, that we can actually talk to the person who made the stars in the sky, who we are still discovering and learning things about, that we can verbally talk to him and that he actually hears us and listens to us and beyond that, cares about what you're saying. It's one thing to just hear someone's words. It's another thing to care about them. And the maker of the universe cares about what you have to say. And he wants you to care about what he has to say. It's a relationship of communication and time. It's vitally important. But why do we neglect? Why do we neglect to do this? Why does it seem so hard? What obstacles are there? Well, I want to cover two. I want to cover two obstacles among many, but I think these are two big ones, all right? Well, the first one is, and when I say obstacle, I really mean excuse, right? The first excuse is, I'm busy. Now, I don't think we go around saying this, right? I mean, nobody's going to walk into their community group on a Sunday morning and be like, just want y'all to know I've been really busy, so I haven't been talking to God or reading my Bible, okay? Just want everybody to be clear on that, right? No one's going to walk up in there and say that or admit that, though maybe we should. I don't know. But here's the thing. We say, we think that subconsciously. We think, I'm a little busy. I don't really have time. Well, let me say this. You and everybody else, okay? Who's not busy, in our 21st century American society. Here's the thing though. We don't have a problem making time to do the things we love. We don't have a problem making time to watch our favorite shows, right? We don't have a problem making time for our little hobbies and interests that we like to do that, that give us some sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. We don't have a time or we don't have a problem making time to spend time with others, which is good, right? All these things are good. I'm not saying that they're bad. We just make time for the things that we really value. We make time for the things that actually matter to us. That's the bottom line. 
if you're not consistently spending time with the Lord in the Bible and, and studying the word of God and, and prayer, listen, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but if you're not doing that consistently in your life and only you really know, or maybe your spouse observes and sees the lack of it in your life, look, the only person you have to blame for that is yourself. And what that really says about your heart is that you just don't really want to. But you're not making time for it because it's so low on the totem pole of priorities in your life. You don't value that as much as you do those other things that you do make time for. So it's not a really a good excuse. Busyness, right? I think another common thought, maybe it's subconscious as well, uh, that we have that, that serves as an obstacle for us spending time with the Lord is that it takes a lot of effort to understand the Bible. And that's true. It does. You know, it, it's not easy to understand uh, the, the scriptures and the Bibles. And here's why. Because the Bible, it's, it's an ancient text, right? It's an ancient text. And so that means that it, the original audience, right? So, so when I say the original audience, what I mean is, you know, Moses, God gave the words to Moses to write Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, right? And, and so he gave uh, Moses the, the words to write these books of the Bible, those first five books. And that first original audience was culturally very different. They were wandering around a desert after being enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, okay? They weren't wandering through the Starbucks drive through sipping on their cafe mocha, okay? It's a very different cultural context, and that's okay. But what that means is that some of the words and the phrases in the text are going to be difficult, right, to understand. But here's the thing. What great reward in life comes with little to no effort? I mean, besides the lottery, maybe, right? I mean, what, what great reward in life do you receive or will you have received that comes that you didn't have to work hard at? And so understanding God's word in the Bible is really the same thing. Yes, you will have to put some effort into studying the Bible and understanding what it means. David says in Psalm chapter one, he says, the blessed man about, about the blessed man, he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. See, you're gonna have to really let your mind dive deep into what you are reading in the Bible. And one way that you can do that is by talking to God, right? Praying about what you're actually reading. That's very important, to pray about what you're reading. Ask the Lord. God wants us to ask him for understanding and wisdom. He's not trying to like, he, it's not like this puzzle he wants you to figure out or some kind of mystery game. He wants you to know the truth. He's revealed it to us. But we may have to do a little effort to understand some of those cultural contexts and things but the Lord wants you to ask him to help you understand and apply those truths to your life. When you meditate on what you're reading, that's when it really dives and drives itself deep into your heart and into your soul so that it starts taking root and affects your behavior. So, all right, so that's some of those obstacles, but here's what, how I want you to be encouraged with this first 
uh, big commitment of spending time with the Lord. Thankfully, we live in a world with wonderful, trusted resources to help us as we study the Bible. So what I mean is, listen, there's no reason for any of us uh, to not have some kind of good resource uh, to help us understand, written by people that we know are, are godly people and trusted people uh, who believe the same things we believe, right, and have written and already done a lot of that homework. You know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. But none of you, right, at least not to my knowledge, none of you have had to go home and interpret or, or translate, I should say, uh, translate those words into English, right? It's already been done for you. And so the copy of God's word you have with you today, right, and that we read on the screen right now uh, was translated by some faithful Christian who really did take the time to study the original Hebrew and the original Greek and translate it into English in a way that we can understand. Praise the Lord for that. And that still is happening around the world today. There are uh, still many translators of the Bible trying to get God's word into languages that it's never been written in before. And that's wonderful. That means that the world can hear the good news, right? But we have it. And so my point is that there have been faithful brothers and sisters in Christ that have gone before us who have done a really good job of writing out some things that will help you understand the Bible better. Praise God for those people. So what I would suggest is investing, uh, you know, 20 bucks or 40 bucks or 60 bucks, however nice you want it to be, in a study Bible that has notes, right, at the bottom that help you understand what the scriptures are saying that explains some of those cultural differences from us and something that happened 2,000 years ago. You need some of that, right? We need a study Bible. Uh, maybe get a commentary. You know, if you want to read through the book of Romans, this, this year or something like that. Get a good commentary on the book of Romans. Listen to sermons, right, from, from different pastors that you love and that you trust, uh, their teachings that believe the same things as you. Uh, always, listen, I'm, I'm always available to, to answer these questions. If you have a concern about a particular book or Bible or you're looking for a good resource, I would love to give you a list of recommended uh, resources. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out and ask, hey, Pastor Andrew, what, what is a good study Bible or what's a good commentary on this book of the Bible? You see, the payoff, it, the payoff for that kind of deep study is more than worth it. Uh, listen to this, Psalm 119, verse 11. David said, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, that's, that's the payoff, right? I mean, if you put the effort into really studying the Word of God on a, on a consistent basis, then guess what? It actually transforms your heart. That's what David's saying. He's saying, the more that I digest the Word of God, the more that I read the Scriptures and let them take root deeply in my soul, the less I'm going to sin, the less I'm going to rebel against God. But here's the big kicker and why you should be encouraged. You have supernatural help. If you approach the scriptures prayerfully and thoughtfully with the right motivation, the Holy Spirit's job is to enlighten you to its truth and to point you to Jesus and what his truth really means. So it's not just an academic endeavor, though that is part of it, right? Understanding the historical and cultural context. But it is ultimately a spiritual endeavor, studying the Bible. Hebrews 4 verse 12 
tells us, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What else can do that? What other thing that you pick up in the bookstore or that you read on the internet or conversation you even have with another person no thing and no one can cut you to the heart like the bible the word of god it's living it is active and it discerns your thoughts the bible reads you did you know that We need to read the Bible, but we also need to let the Bible read us. We need to let it discern our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. As I once heard a pastor say, we must let it read us. The Word is alive. The Holy Spirit is your great helper. So, how is your time with the Lord going? That's the question. I hope that's encouraging to you. Number two, how is my church involvement? Now, it almost seems silly for a pastor to stand up here on stage and tell you how important church is, right? (laughs) Uh, But that would only be silly, and I'm being serious, that would only be silly if the church was a man-made organization. But we're not. We are not a man-made organization. Jesus created the church. Jesus died for the church. And Jesus is fully committed himself to dwelling with the church forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 tells us, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. You see, Jesus, when he died the death that you and I should have died, when he died and substituted himself on the cross for you in your place, right? That should be us. We should pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus put himself and stood in that gap between us and God. He sacrificed himself instead of us receiving the wrath of God. It was poured out on Christ. And he died for our sins. And why did he do that? He did that as we looked in our sermons over Christmas, right? He did that because he wants to dwell with his people forever. Our sin separated us from God. But Jesus' sacrifice, his atonement, his payment for our sin, by his grace and through us putting our faith in him and not ourselves to earn our way back to God, Jesus reconciles us with God the Father. We are now able to access the presence of God and will be able to live with him forever because of only because of what Christ has done. And so the people who put their faith in Jesus for that exact thing, that salvation, we are known as the church, the body of Christ. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we're referred to as the bride of Christ, the family of God, the building of God. Now, I want you to see, though, that Jesus gave up his life for you, for the church, right? And so that's how much he values the church. So if we are this important 
if we are this special to God as the people of God, purchased, bought by Jesus' blood, then if we don't love the church, if we don't commit ourselves to her, then we might as well be saying that we don't love Jesus himself. Because, hear me out, you really can't love Jesus but not love his bride. I mean, who would go up to someone and be like, man, I really like you, but I do not like your wife, right? You would not do that. I hope you wouldn't. Don't do that. But what does it say when we treat coming to church and being involved in the church and investing in the church as if a bride, a wife of someone that we just don't really want to be around? What does it say about our love for Christ himself who gave his life up as the groom, as the one who loves his bride, his own body? So if we just kind of ho-hum our way through life with very little commitment and church involvement, what does that say about our spiritual state and our understanding of who Christ is and what he's done? What does it say about our love for him and his people? I think there's a couple of obstacles here that we need to think about. Again, some excuses, just two among many. The first one is I think we, we tend to think, you know, I've got a lot going on and, and I really can't commit to serving in the church this year. So there's kind of a trend here, you see, the busyness. Well, again, yeah, you and everybody else, right? It's amazing to me how church tends to fall so low on the totem pole of many American Christians' priority lists. Now listen, I'm all for uh, extracurricular activities in life, whether you're a kid or a college student or you're an adult, right? Whatever uh, life stage you are in, it's usually good and healthy for us to have some kind of activity or place or group uh, to belong to belong inside of and, and work with and, and, and school or, or whatever it may be. But the question is, are we putting those good things above our church involvement? I mean, what really matters more for eternity? That's the question we really need to ask ourselves. I mean, what's going to matter more one million years from now? Like one million years from now, is it going to matter more that you did this or did that with your time instead of investing in the church and the people of God whom you're going to be living with forever, right? I mean, what, what really matters more? So I think we, we kind of use that excuse, well, I've got a lot going on and you know, I really can't commit to serving in the church this year. Well, again, it's an issue of, of love. It's an issue of importance. It's an issue of what we really, truly value. Number two, another excuse, I think we would say that, you know, I, I would be more involved, but I don't feel like I connect really well uh, with some of the people here in the church or, or with that particular ministry or this community group. And listen, my, I don't really have a great answer for, for that except, you know, ask yourself this. I mean, do you, do you always love being around your family? <laughs> don't answer that out loud. I mean, full disclosure, Listen, we're a family. The church is a family, and families, we can get on each other's nerves sometimes, right? Don't say amen. Also, 
you might want to, you might want to get used to being around each other, you know, because you're going to be living. Some of you don't realize this or you don't think about it. I mean, y'all, we're all going to be living with each other for eternity. All right. Like that's forever. (laughs) So you may not, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, like I'm going to have to live with all these people forever. There's going to be a lot more of us. And listen, the good news is we're going to be sinless. So it's going to be a lot easier, okay? We're not going to get on each other's nerves because we're not going to sin, all right? It's good. That's, so it's good, it's good. But my point is, listen, we are a family and we have to see ourselves that way. We, 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 have, to, we have to be encouraged because Jesus is with us, he's for us, and he is transforming us together. We need each other. I, I think one of the, one of the hardest cultural issues that the American church faces today is that our society around us really just pushes individualism. And some of that is okay. But in our Western society, we really prioritize individualistic ideas and and individualism and power within yourself. And that's really kind of the gospel message of the world in America today is the power within yourself that you need to tap into and you just need to be the best you can be. Okay. But the truth is, the reality is that God created us in his image for community. God created us to really not be that powerful on our own. He created us to be powerful together, following him together, seeking him together. His strength that binds us together by his blood is the power that unites us. It's the power that sustains us. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a promise. That's a promise from Jesus himself that no matter how challenging the world may be, the church will continue on. And when we love one another, when we serve one another, when we really, truly commit to the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, here's here's a picture of of what happens. Ephesians 4.16, Paul says, the whole body, the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And yeah, that means getting to know people on a deeper level. And guess what happens when you do that? (laughs) Things get messy. When you get to know people at the church on a deeper level, you're going to start finding out their faults. And the thing is, see, we don't want people to know our faults, right? We want to come to church and just kind of put on this happy face and and kind of, we we kind of want people to have the perception that everything's okay with us. And can we just be honest for a second? Can we all just admit that everything's not okay? <laughs> that our hearts are weak? We're human. Every single one of us. We all struggle with sin. We all sin every day. And if you can't admit that, then that's the problem. But if we humble ourselves and just look at one another and see the need of grace in our lives and we really strive to love and serve one another in the body of Christ and the church, That's a beautiful thing. That's when we are built up in love, not when we 
put on a defense mechanism and a, some kind of prideful attitude as if we don't need each other. It's when we admit that we do need each other that we really build, each, build ourselves up in love as the Lord designed. We forgive one another. We serve one another. Why do we do this? Because that's how God has treated us. God forgives us. He knows our weakness, yet he loves us anyway. He knows our faults, yet he stands beside us anyway. He knows how weak we are, yet he walks with us through every circumstance. Why would we not treat each other in the church the same way? Extending that love and that grace that God's given us to each other. So, number two, how's your church involvement? Number three, and lastly, am I investing in someone's life who doesn't know Jesus? In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You see, the church is not plan B. The church is God's plan for making disciples in this world, for, for bringing people to Christ all over the world. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe <clears throat> all that I have commanded you. You see, Jesus has redeemed us. And he's also commissioned us to live on mission for him in our everyday lives because eternity is at stake. Like that's the importance of getting to know someone in your life, investing in someone who doesn't know Jesus. The importance is that eternity is what is going on. That's what is at stake. Not everyone is going to heaven. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't think we should be doom and gloom in our perception every day, but how can we not walk around this world? How can we not drive our car through the city and look around us in our neighborhoods and realize and not think about the fact that there are people who do not know Jesus and yes, they will die and go to hell. And if that doesn't bother you in the slightest, that's part of this diagnostic this morning. Where is your heart with the Lord? Do you care? Are you concerned about this? Because hell is a real place. Listen, we don't talk a lot about hell in our Christian circles uh, much, but it is a real place, and we should probably talk a lot more about it because Jesus did. But it's a real place of eternal torment. And I don't want to go trying to describe what I think it might be like other than what Scripture has told us, but... I, it's a place of eternal torment and it's really something that we shouldn't laugh at or take lightly. Being separated from God forever in physical, psychological, spiritual torment is something not worth joking about and it's something that we need to think about more often. Eternity is something that we cannot take lightly when it comes to our loved ones and the people around us who don't know Jesus. I think there's a few obstacles that kind of get in the way just in our minds internally. You know, we say, well, I don't really know how to witness to someone. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to preach a series on evangelism and sharing the gospel and living on mission 
uh, in just a few weeks. But I do think this is an excuse we need to talk about today as well. I, you know, we say, I don't, really know, I don't really know how to witness to someone. Listen, here's what we need to do, every single one of us. We need to be friends with people. <laughs> we need to be friends with people who don't know Jesus. If all your friends are Christians, that's not okay. We need to make friends with people who don't love Jesus, who don't walk with him, who don't follow him. We need to be friends with those people because here's the thing. A friend is someone you trust. A friend is someone you listen to. So I got news for you. A lost and dying world doesn't want a sales pitch. They want a friendship. They want relationship and they want to hear and see in you the love of Christ exhibited through your life. Invest in someone. Be their friend. Let it happen naturally. But that's going to take sacrifice. We're going to have to rearrange our schedules. We're going to have to rearrange our priorities if we're going to spend time with people who don't follow Jesus. And as you do, yes, we should study up on how to verbally share the gospel so that when the moment is right, we share the good news. And we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to speak through us. But we can't use that excuse that we don't really know how because the bottom line is we're probably just not even trying to invest in someone's life and be their friend so that it happens more naturally. A second excuse, I think sometimes we just say, well, you know, it's just awkward. It's awkward and, and I don't want someone to think that I'm holier than thou or high and mighty. Yeah, it is awkward. It, it might be. But let me say this, don't be concerned about your reputation with that person as much as you are about their eternal destination. Don't be concerned about your reputation with that person as much as you are their eternal destination. Don't worry if they reject what you have to say. They might, yeah. They might not listen. They might say, you're crazy. They may say, you're holier than thou or whatever the accusation or the mockery may be. But if you do what you're supposed to do with a humble attitude and the proper mindset as the Lord displayed himself and you do that, let God do the work of transforming that person's heart. You can't do that anyways. So we have to be encouraged because there is good news for the world. There is real hope for everyone. This is not, we're not asking them to join a club. We're not asking them to join an organization. We're asking them to meet the living God. And there is real hope. There's real good news for everyone. Listen to this. John chapter three, Jesus said this in verses 16 through 18. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only, of the only son of God. You see, God wants to save the lost. And he wants to use you to do that. But perhaps the biggest encouragement is that God is the one who saves. We have to be faithful to sow the seeds. We have to be faithful to verbally share the hope of Jesus' death and resurrection. But at the end of the day, and all the way through the process, 
It's the power of the Holy Spirit that actually draws people to salvation. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through that message that you're sharing that will pull that person in and bring them to the Lord. So be encouraged. It's okay if you don't know all the right words. There aren't a lot of, there's not just one way to do it. It's okay if, you, if you're scared. It's okay if it's awkward. It's okay. There's a lot of things in life that are awkward. Get through it. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws. So, are you investing in someone's life who doesn't know Jesus? So how'd you do on the pop quiz? I encourage you, let's not take these commitments lightly. These, these three parts of of your life as a Christian are so important, they really do have eternal significance. Spending time with the Lord, committing to his church, investing in someone's life who doesn't know and doesn't follow Jesus. So in just a moment, I want us to spend some time in prayer asking God to help us with these things. But, but first, next week, I want to remind you to come with great eagerness and anticipation to, to learn uh, as we do a checkup as a church. It's going to be a different couple of Sundays, but, but important ones nonetheless. Let's, let's come back with this anticipation as to how the Lord wants to continue working in and through us collectively. But for this week, for these next few days leading up to next Sunday, I want you to focus on your own heart. I want you to focus and just be honest with yourself with these three questions we've asked today. How am I really doing Am I really seeking the Lord? Am I really committed to Kernan? Am I really investing in someone's life around me that doesn't follow Jesus? Three eternal questions that God already knows the answer to. But are we being honest with ourselves about where we stand and how we're doing? It's a good opportunity at the beginning of this year to start the year off right. So let's pray to that end. Let's pray that the Lord would truly help us and that he would tune our hearts in to his. Would you spend some time praying with me? Lord, we thank you that you have promised to never leave us or forsake us. We deserve to be left. We deserve to be forsaken. Lord, you promised that you would finish the good work that you started in each of us. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you don't give up on us. I'm thankful that you are committed to us. Through thick and thin, through the ups and downs, Jesus, you are there. And you know how we feel through every circumstance of life because you lived on this earth as a human who was ridiculed and mocked in poverty, rejected, humiliated, accused unjustly, murdered unjustly. Lord, you know what hardship is like. So Lord, with your commitment to us being so strong, so solid, so sure, Lord, how could we not commit to you? 
So I pray for every person in here today that you would truly set their hearts on the right path this year. Today, on the second day of the year, Lord, that you would truly set our hearts towards you. That you would lead us in 2022 to spend time with you in a deeper way, in a more consistent way, Lord, to commit to a greater level of activity and involvement and serving in the church here at Kernan. And Lord, to invest in someone's life, to befriend someone who doesn't follow you so that we can share the hope of the world, share you, Jesus, with them. Would you help us do these things? We humbly ask in your name.